So I have a question for you. So every single one of you woke up this morning at different times because you were not here at early church. I can tell you that. But you woke up this morning and you have a bedtime tonight. If you have teenagers, your bedtime is really late. But between the times of waking up and going to sleep, what are some of your daily routines through the week? What are your daily routines? Well, waking up and hitting the snooze button a bunch of times, that's probably the first daily routine that you experience. What are your daily routines? We tried this out in in first service, and uh, I could not hear through the muffled masks. So the first couple rows, what are your daily routines? Anybody have a daily routine? What's your daily routine? Driving to school. On 436 traffic, right? Yeah, that's, that's a character builder um, right there. Uh, any other routines? Noah, what's your routine in the morning? Uh, like brushing my teeth. Bro, that is a perfect thing. Brushing your teeth. These days, you guys are wearing masks. Guess what? You cheat. You don't brush your teeth every day. I know that. Because I cheated too. I'm like, yeah, no one's going to smell my breath. I have a filter now, so I can just go. So brushing your teeth, that's a daily routine. What's another daily routine? Exercise is a daily routine. You have your hand up. Um, Getting to school, school, yeah. Do you drive there yourself? Not yet, okay. Well, that's good. So, So all of these different routines that we have, waking up, exercising daily, going to bed at a certain time, Uh, eating meals at a certain time, skipping meals, eating between meals might be a routine, but we all have different routines in our life. Let me ask you this. What are, now we're going to get personal, right? What are your spiritual routines? And do those spiritual routines, are they part of your daily routines? So a spiritual routine, guess what? You're here today. Church is a spiritual routine that you come to once a week. It's a routine. It's not daily, but it's a routine. What are some other spiritual routines? Singing, journaling, opening up the Word of God, maybe reading a devotional, Maybe looking at your Bible app and getting the verse of the day and sending it to a bunch of people. What is your prayer is a spiritual routine? Praying for others might be a spiritual routine. So when a routine becomes a habit, when a routine becomes a habit, it becomes part of the rhythm of your life. It becomes part of the rhythm of your life. And I want to talk to you today about the heartbeat spiritual rhythm of every follower of Jesus. Now, I specifically said follower of Jesus and not just Christian. Because they're the same if you're truly a follower of Jesus. And there might be some people here today watching online that might be sitting on the fence of saying, am I really a follower of Jesus? Am I a Christian? And what does it mean? What does that look like to be a follower of Jesus? Number one, it's no compromise. 
Number two, a follower of Jesus does not look like the world. A follower of Jesus is also not complacent with their spiritual walk. There's no room for being lukewarm in your spirituality. That's why I phrase it, a follower of Jesus. So, what does the spiritual heartbeat rhythm of a follower of Jesus, what is that? And just like you have a heart in your chest that beats at a certain rhythm, it keeps you alive. If that heart stops, if that rhythm stops, then what happens to you? You stop. So much like the spiritual rhythm heartbeat of our life and the, and the, the beat of our, of our heart in our chest keeps us alive, the spiritual heartbeat rhythm of our life keeps us spiritually alive. And I want to talk to you today about the spiritual rhythm heartbeat of every person that is here that is saying, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian. I've accepted Jesus Christ. I walk with Jesus daily. This should be the spiritual rhythm heartbeat of your life. We're going to turn to Romans chapter 12. You can open up in your Bible if you have it, your Bible app. It will also be up on the screen. But Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I'm going to read it through once and come back to it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Therefore, I urge you. Let's just stop with that word, I urge you. That is something that, pay attention, it's important. There's a timely fashion behind the word, I urge you. Those of you who are married and your wife comes into the room and says, I urge you to do this. Every man in this room stands up straight and says, yes, ma'am. Right? Is that right? Yeah, I, I, I do that. My wife's on the front row too. I'm not going to deny that I do that. But it's important when you are urged to do something or listen. So I urge you, Paul says, brothers and sisters, and then the next phrase is, in view of God's mercy. What a beautiful phrase that is. In view of God's mercy. We are in view of God's mercy. Let that sink in. Paul is saying, everything that I'm going to talk about underneath this is in view of God's mercy. His kindness, his compassion. Everything from here on out is in view of God's mercy. Thank goodness it doesn't say in view of God's wrath. Same God. Same God. He's a God of wrath, a God of love. God of wrath, a God of mercy. This one is in view of God's mercy. 
And then it says to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. What is the opposite of living? Dying. Dying. Yeah, absolutely. The opposite of living is dying. So what is a dead sacrifice? Well, here's an example. So we go back to Old Testament language, right? But there's a story in the New Testament. John the Baptist is sitting with his disciples. He sees Jesus from a distance. And he says, look, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So Old Testament language is this. When you sin, something has to die in your place if you're a sinner. So for your family, you would come and you would sacrifice a lamb. And it wouldn't be just this sickly lamb in the corner of the pasture. It would be the blue ribbon, perfect lamb without blemish. You would take that to the priest. The priest would sacrifice that in the place of your sin. That's a dead sacrifice. So what is this living sacrifice? So I want to read you the same verse in a different translation. I don't often preach in the message, but the message illuminates. It's a paraphrase of chapter 12, verse 1 of Romans, and it illuminates this language of what the living sacrifice is. So read this along with me. It says this. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping You're eating, you're going to work, and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Don't you love that? See, a living sacrifice, it's my life is an act of worship to God. In whatever I do, in whatever I say, in whatever circumstance I'm in, at work, at play, at home, in my neighborhood, my life is a living sacrifice, is an act of worship to God. Everything that you do. And then Paul finishes in Romans 12, chapter 1, back to the NIV. Your life, if it is fully surrendered to God... I'm not in charge of my life, God. I mess it up too much. You're in charge of my life. I surrender it to you. It's your life, not my life. Take it to do what you want with it in this world to declare your glory. Take it, Lord. And if you live a fully surrendered life to God, Paul says that this is your true and proper worship. What is true and proper worship? You know, we argue in churches right here in this church of what is proper worship. Well, what kind of music should be played at church? And what kind of, and we go there when we're talking about worship. You want to know, let's just kill that argument right now. True and proper worship is this right here. A holy surrendered life to God. 
I'm yours, God. Take me. And he'll take you right where you're at. He won't leave you there. He'll say, I got a better place for you to go. I got a better life for you to live. And he gradually walks you through that. As we're fully surrendered to God, as a true act of living worship, a living sacrifice to him, that is true and proper worship. And then we go to verse 2. Verse 2 says this. All of us are guilty of this, by the way. Paul tells us, warns us, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Stop right there. If, if we're to line up a bunch of Christians, let's just say American Christians because we're here in America, right? If we were to line up a bunch of Christians, let's just, let's just get closer to home. Forest Lake Church followers of Jesus Christians, okay? And we were to line up all Forest Lake Church Christians, and we had a reality show. Oh, that would be great, right? A reality show that everybody could watch. And then we lined up a bunch of people who never gone to church, don't want to go to church, don't want anything to do with church, and we aligned those two lives and those two reality shows. Would it look any different? Paul says, do not conform have you ever played with Play-Doh? What does it do? It's pliable, right? Squeeze it, you can make little, you know, in the, in the old days before Play-Doh, there was mud in the backyard and you squished mud and created stuff out of mud. And it was pliable, right? Have we conformed to look like the patterns of this world? You have to ask yourself that question. Lord, do I look like the world? Lord, does my family that I lead, mom and dad, that I lead look like the world? Am I training my children to look like the world? So you've got to ask yourself that as a mom and a dad, as an individual, as a husband and a wife. Do we look like the pattern of the world. No one's looking. I put on a good show when I come to church. But if we were to do a reality show, you would have to ask yourself the question, would they know the difference? And that's just a personal Holy Spirit conversation you have to have between you and God. It's not a judgment at all because I struggle with this as well. This is a struggle of the Christian faith. This is the struggle of a follower of Christ. I don't want to go after the pattern of what this world is. Then the next verse says, don't be conformed, but be transformed. Eh, that word is such a cool word in Greek. Metamorphosis. they. What does that word sound like? It's metamorphosis, right? It's, it's an internal, it's from a change from the inside out, where God takes our stony hearts and chips it away so our hearts are pliable, or that Play-Doh for him to mold into his character by his help. 
by our surrender to him. It is constant. Be transformed, and I'll get into this word renewing, by the renewing of your mind in a few minutes here. But then this next statement, this is so important, this next statement is so amazing. It says this, then you will be able to test and to prove what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So what is the greatest question asked of Christians? I'll tell you the most asked question from kids, parents, is I don't understand God's will for my life. It's a great question. And my answer is, I don't understand God's will for your life either. And there's other questions that come along with God's will that is a struggling question that are turning a lot of Christians into agnostics. Because they can't answer some of these questions about God's will. How is it that God's will was it was his will to allow my loved one to die. Was it God's will to allow my loved one to have cancer? Was it God's will to allow these groups of people for this to happen? If God was such a loving God, then was it his will to do A, B, or C? You see those tough questions of how they can make you do a lot of mental gymnastic work here in your head? Sadly, there is not a lot of clear answers to every single one of those. And if they were clear answers, it may not appease to what you want to hear. It's very tough. But here is a spiritual formula, for lack of better phrasing there, of how can we as individuals understand God's will for our life? You know, there's a lot of kids that are graduating this year all over America. They've had a horrible school year, by the way. And all of these seniors that are graduating, and they're wondering, what is God's will for my life? What's God's will for my life? That's one thing that Deborah and I have prayed over both Noah and Haley. You know, Haley is a senior in high school. We dedicated her on this stage. And she's a senior over there. Isn't that crazy? I'm about to cry right now, right? And so she is graduating. The question that I'm sure rings in her head is, man, what is God's will? What am I to do? What am I supposed to be? Man, Deborah and I have been praying since they were little infants and praying over there. And God, help them understand your purpose. Let them know why they were born. This is important. These are important prayers for you that are younger parents. Pray these prayers over your children. Lay your hands on them and pray over them. I don't care if they're already teenagers and they don't want to be touched. You wrestle them to the ground. Lay your hands on them. And say, I'm praying over you and I'm not going to let you go because I'm fatter than you and I'm stronger than you. And you stay and you pray over them. 
Even if they fight it, pray over them. Put your hands on, pray over them. God, let them know your purpose. Let them know your will. And so this whole idea of being transformed from the inside out says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How can I be transformed? And it says, by the renewing of your mind. You get verse two up there for me, just by the renewing of your mind. So what is this idea of renewing? A spiritual vision, this is renewing, this is definition of renewing, this is sort of the, the, the closest I could come to what the Greek is trying to express in this idea of renewing. You wanna be transformed from the inside out? How do you do that? By renewing your mind. And this is the best definition I can come up with. So the renewing of your mind, it is a spiritual vision and thinking to the mind of God. A spiritual vision or thinking to the mind of God, which is designed to have a transforming effect upon your life. That's what renewing is. So being a living sacrifice, taking your everyday ordinary life, your work, your home, your social, your private life, surrendering every part of your life as a sacrifice to God is the heartbeat rhythm of your life. Constant, daily. And by the way, you cannot compartmentalize your spirituality. You can't have blocks of your life and saying, my spiritual and church and life is right here. My work life is right here. My social life is right here. My family life is right here. You cannot put your life in boxes because you can't put God in a box. God will blow up any box you try to put him in. And so you cannot take your spiritual life and segregate it for only a time slot and a time period of your life. It is every single part of your waking moment that is a part of your life. And so this whole idea of renewing of your mind, it's much like taking a shower. So how many of you who are fully capable of taking a shower on your own choose to only take a shower once a week. Anyone here? No hands? You just don't want to confess that sin, do you? So I will, tell, I will be the first to confess that when I'm on vacation, we go to the beach, there's water, and it's salt water. And if I'm in that water every day for several hours a day, I'm talking six, seven hours. I'm in there playing with my nephews, my nieces, my son, my daughter. We're in there playing and surfing. I am cleaner than the person showering for six hours. And so in my head, in my um, adolescent brain, in my head I justify, well, hmm, I don't have to shower tonight. I was in the water for like six hours and, you know, salt's like a clean, cleansing agent. And guess what happens? After day two... Or three, my wife informs me in a gentle, sweet little way that she always does. Sweetie, you're beginning to stink. You need to take a shower. 
And so I do every once in a while. And so here's the thing about that. This is how renewing your mind. See, you can't get by with showering just once a week without stinking. The same goes with our spiritual life. If your spiritual life solely depended on showing up to church once a week, it is much like taking a shower once a week. Because coming to church is not enough. One hour, two hours out of 168 hours. It's not enough. Because the rhythm heartbeat of your life has to be continuous. You have to be disciplined and be constant about it. It can't depend solely on, I'm just going to show up to church, I'm going to check mark my to-do list of, I got my spiritual on over there, and now I can just move along. So, going to church has been a spiritual rhythm for many of our lives but it was disrupted almost a year ago. And so when March 2020 came along, we went into lockdown, we went into quarantine. Church didn't exist. These spaces were completely empty. Thanks to technology, you guys were able to hang out in your pajamas and go to church, right? But it still has not come back to normal. Pews are not filled. Look what we're all wearing over our faces. You have to have a ticket to get in. <laughs> it's sort of weird. You want to hug somebody and you're like, uh, shake, oh, no, fist, oh, elbow. I mean, nothing's normal here, right? So we still haven't gotten back to normal. And so in the meantime, there's a, some shifting that's happened in this space. There's not a second service anymore. You got early church, you've got this uh, church service. And then the service that a lot of people labeled our young adult service was called Upper Room at the time. Upper Room was meeting just once a month. Quarantine lockdown hit, there was a quick decision that was made that, hey, we gotta do something. And they started going every week and they've been going every week ever since. But it got a group of the pastors that oversee Upper Room, now called Warehouse Community. I'll talk about that here in a minute. It got us to thinking when our churches were empty, and we didn't know what was going to happen at that time. It got us rethinking, and it was Pastor Juan, Pastor Justin, myself, and a group of really smart church members. And we started asking questions. And we started rethinking and refocusing on what the Sabbath rhythm that got disrupted could look like. And what can this, how can this affect this warehouse community that we're trying to establish? What is this all about? So again, warehouse community formerly known as Upper Room, Upper Room formerly known as The Bridge, The Bridge formerly known as Fourth Service, Fourth service, formerly known as Deeper. A lot of name changes here, right? So it just underwent another name change the first January of 2021. And now it's called Warehouse Community. And there's a reason for that. Some of you have heard about the Warehouse Project. 
and um, we're working on getting into a 12,000 square foot warehouse project. It won't be just for a service alone, but it will be a community space that's large that if we're still in this sort of social distance space, when we do get in there, we can socially distance in a 12,000 square foot space and hang out and still have community other than just Sabbath morning. But then we started to um, figure out that what are we going to do for the first year of this warehouse community? And we came up with a series that may last up to two years. And the series is three words and it's a question. We're trying to answer the question from the biblical perspective of what is church? Do you know the answer to what is church? If you were to have a unchurched, non-church going person in your elevator that you work with, and they hear you talking about your church, they hear you saying, oh, this happened at church this weekend, and oh, this happened, and oh, I'm getting together with my church to do that. And they were in there with you in the elevator, and they looked at you and said, hey, what is this church thing that you're talking about? Do you know what you would answer? How would you answer that? And so we're on a two-year journey asking the question, because it is a spiritual rhythm, a single spiritual rhythm, but what is church? And we're also discovering what church is not. And so here's a couple things that we discovered of what church is not. And I, I want to be real clear on what warehouse community is not. So warehouse community is not a young adult service alone. It is not a high school service alone. It is not a generational specific church service alone. But it is a church service. And it is a ministry of the Forest Lake Church. We meet at a different space. Right now, we're meeting over at Schmidt Auditorium. We were meeting right here in the Upper Youth Center. We outgrew that space real quick during this pandemic. And so Forest Lake Academy has been so amazing, generous, where they have allowed us to have more people come in Schmidt Auditorium as an interim space before we get into the actual warehouse space. And that's been amazing. But what we want to create is not a worship experience alone. But listen to this. What Warehouse Community is striving to become, it is striving to become a movement of people who live and experience the gospel together every day. It goes with one of our values called togetherness. And there has not been a lot of togetherness in the last year which is why we have to fight for it in a more creative way. But we just don't want to label this as a church service alone, a worship experience alone. But it is a place where people will come together and experience the gospel on a daily basis. Now, I can't get into detail of how we're doing that because we'll take up too much time. But there is a strategy behind what we're doing over there. And we have a long way to go to make that happen. But here's what we've been praying for everyone who is a part of the warehouse community. 
And this is where we need your support. There's some of you that you're not a part of that over there because you think, well, I'm too old for that or I've got children for that. And I, but here's where we need your support. We need your prayers. We need your encouragement. We need an older generation to come along a younger generation and encourage and pray for this community. We need our church to not be generationally segregated, but we need to come alongside of each other. Listen to the young heart and then have them listen to the heart of somebody who's lived a life of experience and spiritual struggle and spiritual triumphs. Each of you have a story to tell, but each of you should listen to the story that is told by a younger generation as well. But this is what we've been praying for, for people who are coming and being a part of the warehouse community. We're praying that the rhythm of their life will be in constant sequence with God, not just once a week, but a lifetime of Holy Spirit fire that will ignite a flame that cannot be extinguished from generation to generation. We're not limiting this in two to three to five years. We're saying our great, great grandchildren, we want them to be able to talk about what is going on right now, a hundred years earlier. So we're not thinking of a 10 year plan. We're thinking about, we're wanting to create a community, a movement of people who are so ignited and so um, on fire for the Lord that it changes the culture, it changes who we are, it changes who we are at work, it changes who we are at home, it changes who we are as a parent, as a husband, as a wife, to where it continues to be passed on from generation to generation. We're not there or anywhere close to that. That's what we're striving for, right? I want you to listen to a story here, and this is going to close out the sermon. And I want you to hear a story from a young lady named Sarah. I only met Sarah very randomly. And we were actually giving a tour to uh, Pastor Orlando Lopez in the warehouse, in the actual warehouse. And Sarah walks in. We didn't know who she was. We had no clue. And um, we got acquainted with her. And I just asked her a simple question after we got to know her and heard some of her struggles and said, how can we pray for you? And it was Pastor Juan, Pastor Orlando, and myself. And I said, how can we pray for you, Sarah? And um, we prayed for her right there. I had no idea that she was attending the upper room during lockdown. But Sarah did not grow up in this church. Sarah did not go to our school systems. Sarah is not a Seventh-day Adventist. But one person who heard the voice of God say, invite your friend Sarah to start coming to church. 
And that one person heard the voice of God because, guess what? That one person was in rhythm and in sequence to the heartbeat of God. One person invited Sarah, and this is Sarah's story. I never planned on coming up a room. In fact, I fought it. But all it took was one person. It took one person in my life who was relentless, who didn't stop believing in me, who kept telling me that there was something great here, but I was too afraid to come and experience it myself because I didn't believe. I didn't believe it was possible to be accepted in a church, to not be judged for who I am or what I've been through. Especially in a place especially in a place where I know no one. I don't have history. I don't have fond memories with the people I'm standing next to in worship. That doesn't exist yet. But all it took was the one person who kept inviting me to come. Just one. And I felt the tug in my heart. I felt like I needed to go. Twenty twenty was one of the worst years of my life. And I understand that not everyone has had that experience, which made it even harder to come into church. Where people pretend that everything is okay. To walk into a room and know that everyone still has their job. No one's worried about where they're gonna live. No one's concerned with how they're gonna take care of their kids. But there I was, jobless, worried about my home, trying to figure it out. Watching Upper Room online was just a taste of what I needed. It was temporary. It worked when we were in lockdown. And as the new year came around, God really spoke to me and really put the burden on my heart that I need to do more than just watch from home. It was time for me to be a part of something, to be a part of something that's greater than myself because it's worth it, because I'm not the only one with my type of story. I'm not the only one with this experience of last year. I am a living, walking, and breathing miracle. Because what has happened to me, I shouldn't be standing. I shouldn't be here. But here I am anyways. So if I can talk to someone, reach out to someone who feels 
the way that I did, who feels the way that I do, then that's the greater purpose. More than just the building we're in, more than just the songs that we sing. But people need to know that they're not alone. And that there is a place for them to be loved and safe and accepted, to really be in a community.